0: started a series last week about the vision that god has given us here at city alive and uh all morning i feel like the lord was kind of shifting some things in my heart so we're gonna stay in this same vein but i'm gonna i'm gonna go off the cuff here this morning uh hallelujah if anybody else besides mary thinks that's a good idea say it's okay joey all right so uh I'm not just doing this because I think, hey, this might be fun, but, but I feel like the Lord's been, been stirring some things in my heart all morning. And so uh, if you would, open up to 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to give you a minute to turn there or click there, and uh, we're going we're gonna to see what the Lord has for us this morning. What we've been talking about this, this last week, and uh, this week what we're going to be talking about here as well, is about what God has for us as a congregation And in the moment that we are in as a church, in the moment that the church is in, in the wider culture, in the moment that we're living in here today, I believe that God wants to accelerate what he's done in my life and in your life. And if you believe that, say amen. I believe that God wants to do some accelerating and some launching and some propelling out into the future that God has for us. You know, we've been around as a church for a couple years now. Things have been really good. We, we talked a little bit last week some of the history of the church. For those of you who don't know it, there were a handful of us that started off in the YMCA in Boardman. We had an hour-long service. That's all we could have because we had to set up and tear down. And the lights were on this demonic timer that changed at 12 o'clock. And if you weren't done, all the lights were going to change anyways. Didn't really care what I was doing. And so uh, we had to work through some of that stuff. And we were looking for a building, looking for a place to worship. We were just hungry to see God do a fresh thing in our city. And there were some of you who were here in this building who've been here for a while, and you've been worshiping, seeking the Lord. And you guys were looking for God to do a fresh thing and looking for some leadership. And so the Lord began to bring us together. And so now for how long has it been? Has it been two years now that we've been together in this building? Two years. That's a great thing. And it's almost like, here's, here's what I feel like uh, where we're at as a church. Now, I used this analogy last week. It feels like the NASA scientists who spent years building a rocket, and then there came a point where the rocket was on the launch pad, and it was time to see whether or not this thing could fly. And that's where I feel like we're at as a church. We've been building, we've been planning, we're out of survival mode here. We have a space, we have some basic ministries. And I feel like the Lord is saying all of that is good and wonderful, but we can either decide to just hang out on the launch pad forever, or we can get ignited and launch into the future that God has for us as a congregation. And so I believe what what is happening here is just... The beginning of what God wants to do. And I talked last week about a handful of things that I feel like God is asking us to do to get us into the future that he has for us. It's gospel proclamation, spiritual formation, community, and mission. And you're going to be hearing about all of those things in the days to come. But I want to I pivot a little bit here because, again, I feel the Lord has been shifting things in my heart all morning. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, um, because I'm pivoting, it's not going to be on the screen, but here's, here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, one of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. This is verse 1. Your servant, my husband, has died, and you know your servant feared Yahweh. Now the creditor is coming to take my two children as his slaves. Elisha asked her, what can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go out and borrow empty containers from all your neighbors. Do not get just a few. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all these containers set the full ones to one side. So she left. After she had shut the door behind her and her sons, they kept bringing her containers, and she kept pouring. Somebody say hallelujah to that. When they were full, she said to her son, bring me another container. But he replied, there aren't any more. And then the oil stopped. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. All right, so let me set this up here, and then I'll, I'll kind of tie it into the moment that we're in as a church. So here's this woman. She has two sons. Her husband has passed away. And her husband, it says, was, was one of these prophets. It says one of this group called the Sons of the Prophets. Now, I, I've tried to study this before. We don't really know who the Sons of the Prophets are you kind of see them in the background a little bit in the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. It seems to be this sort of prophetic guild, this prophetic group, and they were called the sons of the prophets. And so this guy passes away, and now his widow and two sons are in a great financial need, especially in that generation. You know, women didn't have jobs outside of the home, and so widows often were some of the poorest people in society. And so now... The creditors are coming. She has debts. She doesn't know how to pay them. All she has left is this little jar of oil. And she thinks, you know what? Maybe if I go to the prophet Elisha, he can do something for my family. He's a prophet. My husband was a prophet. Maybe there's something that can be done for my situation here. She's worried because her sons are about to be taken away. Now, this doesn't have any sort of framework for our context today but in that time if you had a debt that you could not pay the way that you would pay it off is you would work it off and so you or your kids would be sold into this indentured servitude and you would be in slavery for years until your debt was paid off now imagine here that you're this woman you've lost your husband that's traumatic all by itself And now your sons are about to be taken away and sold into slavery to pay your debts. This woman is in a dark place. And if you were to look on the outside to see what is the future for this woman, anybody in their right mind would say the future doesn't look great for this lady. The future doesn't look great for her family. It's not looking good now that the husband and father is out of the picture. You have all of these debts. Is there any hope for the future? And you see, sometimes, if I could be fully honest with you today, when I look out on Jesus' church in America, it feels a little bit like this picture. It feels a little bit like I've been listening to the statistics about church decline in the United States. You turn on the news and, you know, you scroll or you watch something and it seems like there's another scandal about some pastor that's failed horrifically in some traumatic way. And it seems like again and again and again, the church of Jesus has nothing but a little jar of oil. It seems like the glory days maybe were in the past, and you know, back in the day, there was this move of God, and you can look through history at this great revival or this great awakening, but here's what I want to remind you this morning. If you look back at any great revival, any great renewal, the period right before that great renewal was a period of decline. Every time in history, you see an awakening, you see a reformation, you see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was the period right before that where there was a handful of people who looked out and they said that we are still going to believe the promise of God no matter what anybody else says, no matter what culture says, no matter what the kings and the political authorities say, no matter what the news says, we are going to believe for a promise of God. There's a story From uh, just about 70, 80 years ago, there was a move of God in Scotland called the Hebrides Revival. And you know how this revival started? It started with two sisters who were in their 80s, who were stuck in their home because they were not well enough to leave their house. One was blind, and I think the other one was deaf. Two sisters in their 80s. And they reached out to their local pastor, and they said, Pastor, we are grieving over this young generation that does not know God, so we're going to begin to pray. They prayed three times a week from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Anybody want to sign up for that prayer slot? I bless you with that right now in Jesus' name. These two ladies in their 80s, one is blind, one is deaf. Sisters, can't leave the house. They start praying three hours in the night, multiple times a week. And what happened was the local church where that pastor was, he said, hey, these these ladies in my congregation who can't come here anymore that we're still connected to have reached out to me. And they said they're going to start praying. So he said, I'll start praying with them. And all of a sudden, a few people in the church began to pray. And over the course of the next few weeks and months, that church that was on the decline with a few older people was bursting with young families and it changed the culture of that town for a generation because a few elderly sisters in their 80s who couldn't even leave their house started to pray and what we see in a story like this is that God is actually really really good at taking the little bit that we have and turning it for his glory I love this here. It says in verse 2 that Elisha asked this widow, what can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? What do you have in the house? I love that Elisha didn't say, you've come to the man of God and I'm going to solve all your problems for you. I love that he didn't say, I have all the power to do whatever you need. He said, what do you have in your house? And it turns out that this little jar of oil, which is nothing, it's, it's not enough for, for them to get by for a few days. And it turns out that a little jar of oil in a widow's hands is just as effective as a jar of oil in Elisha's hands. And here's what I want you to see. The power of God moving through people that the world has moved on from and overlooked and neglected is more than enough to see the power of God move. The power of God in a widow's hand is just as strong as the power of God in Elisha's hand. Because it's not about Elisha. It's about the power of God. And you see the temptation in a moment like this, for us as a church, for us in the larger culture, for you individually in your life, is to look out and to say, what are those things that we can get that will turn my life around? If I could get to that place or that thing, maybe my life would turn around. Maybe my situation would turn around. Maybe we can see the culture begin to shift back toward the things of God again. And maybe for you and I, the answer's not some mysterious puzzle that we have to solve out out there somewhere. It's not the latest greatest trick for turning your life around. It's not the greatest trick for growing your church the fastest way possible. Maybe it's something that's already in the house. Maybe it's something that's been with us all along. What what is it? It's a jar of oil. Yeah, but Joey, a jar of oil can't can't pay off the debts. Yeah, but Joey, a jar of oil isn't enough to, to turn this woman's situation around. A jar of oil isn't enough. How would that ever do anything? And you see, it's a jar of oil in the hands of a woman who trusts God, of a woman who believes in a God who does miracles. You see, miracles are when our lack comes into contact with the abundance of God. Did you know there's no lack in heaven? That there is a super abundant generosity to our Father. And it turns out that when the world is looking at the best and the brightest, God is looking out for widows with a jar of oil. You see what the world values is the big, the successful, the large amounts of money, the large amounts of numbers, the large house, the fancy car. The world values large amounts of influence. And what God values is widows with jars of oil. And you see, God can do more with a widow and her little jar than he can with all the wealthy, successful, prosperous people of the world. You see, it's because it's the widows with their jar that recognize that they need him. And when you and I recognize our desperate need for God, it's then that there is space for God to move. It's then that there is space for the power of God to come and begin to work. Here's what Psalm 113 says, verse 4 through 9. The Lord is exalted above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap in order to sit them with nobles, the princes of his people. This is the Lord who looks over the earth, reigns over all things. And what is God looking at? What is God looking for? He raises up the poor and needy. You see, this gets to the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the the solution for City Alive, the solution for the church in America today is not that we would try to be the biggest, the best, the brightest, not that we could impress the culture around us. In fact, it's the opposite. What we need more than anything is to be poor in spirit. What we need more than anything is to recognize our great and desperate need of God. The problem in the church today is not that we don't know what we're doing. It's that we think we know what we're doing. And if we would admit that we don't know what we're doing, maybe there'd be a little more space for God to move in our lives. And the temptation is to depend on the flesh to depend on worldly ways of thinking to solve your financial troubles, to solve your career troubles, to solve our church troubles. And the temptation is to say, "Well, well, how do I get out of this? How do I solve it? How do I fix it? And maybe the solution is for you and I to get out of the way and let the power of God do what only he can do. The hope For your life, the hope for the church is not anchored in our ability to figure this thing out. Because if we could have figured it out, we would have done it already. What do you have? What do you have in the house? Well, I just have this little jar of oil. And Elisha doesn't say, well, well, God can't use that. Elisha doesn't say, well, you don't have what it takes. Sorry. He tells her here, verse 3. Go and borrow empty containers from all your neighbors and do not just get a few. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons. Sorry, Siri's talking. She does this every week to me. All right, so don't just get a few. Go in, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour oil into all these containers. Set the full ones to one side. So she left. After she shut the door behind her and her sons, they kept bringing containers. She keeps pouring. And when they're full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he said, there aren't any more. And then the oil stopped. All right, so here's what's fascinating about this. A little bit of oil. It's all she has. Elisha says, go get empty containers. Now, why would she have containers that are empty? That doesn't help. Elisha, I, I need money. I need help. I need people to come help me figure this out. And he says, what you need is an empty container. Here's the thing about an empty container. The value that an empty container has is not how good it looks. It's not how much it costs. It's not if it's a, a pretty one, a tall one, a short one, nicely painted one. The only value an empty container has is, is its emptiness because when it's empty then there's room for it to be filled and so she she brings all the empty containers and she starts pouring oil and what happens is that in the supernatural miraculous power of god her her little jar of oil keeps pouring Her little jar of oil begins to fill container after container after container after container. And when she asked for another one and there was no more, that's when the oil stopped. And here's really what I want to talk to you about here today. The way to receive more from God is not by trying to do more and be more. It's by trying to empty yourself. That you empty yourself as much as you can empty yourself. And when you and I are done being in the way of what God wants to do, there will be space for God to move in this church and in our lives. Get empty containers. Yeah, but I don't need empty containers. Actually, lady, empty containers are exactly what you need. Joey, I want you to be empty. Yeah, but God, I have some good ideas. Well, you think they're good. Yeah, but God, I I need to do this thing because that's what I think will make this work. That's what I think will solve my problem, solve this situation. Actually, what you need is to be empty. And you see, the value in a container is its emptiness. God doesn't need you to look good. He doesn't need you to be smart. He doesn't need you to be successful. He doesn't need you to have popularity or influence or a great paying job or some status in the eyes of the world. He just needs you to be empty. And you see, what God can do with an empty container is fill it with what you and I could never fill it with in a thousand lifetimes. He's looking for something that's empty. She pours, she pours, she pours. And when she said, bring me another container, and her son replied, there aren't any more, then the oil stopped. Where did the provision of God stop in this family? It stopped when there were no more containers to fill. It stopped when there was no more room for the oil to keep coming. And here's what I've learned in my life. In the natural world, maturity is defined by becoming more and more independent. As a baby, your parents do everything for you. Change your diaper, feed you, clothe you. As you grow, you become more independent. Zachariah is two years old. He's in this independent phase. Wants to do everything himself, including drive the car. In the process... Of growing up is, that's a good thing, becoming more independent. But with the Lord, what I found is it's actually the opposite. The maturity in Christ is actually not by you and I being more independent. It's actually by being more dependent on Him every day. When you're you're a new believer, after the first few months, you know, you're, you're overwhelmed, of course, at first. Everything's new. You don't know what's going on. But after like a year or two, you're like, I got the hang of this thing. I know what to do. And and you don't realize at first that actually the further you go with God, the more empty you have to become. The more you have to give up the need to be in control. The more stuff that you thought you know, you have to admit that you don't. And you have to admit that he's God and you're not. And actually the further you go with God, the more you take up your cross and die. Taking up your cross and dying is not like, yeah, I did that one time at an altar. Jesus said, let whoever wants to follow me take up his cross daily and follow me. The measure that you and I will receive from the Lord is directly tied to our measure of emptiness the amount that you and I will receive, the miraculous provision and power of God in our lives is directly tied to how empty we are right now. And for this woman, it was this amazing thing that she gathered every jar she could. She was knocking on doors. She was seeking empty jars everywhere she could because for every empty jar there was, there was more oil. And I want to challenge you with this here today. And I want to say this not just to you as an individual, but for us as a congregation. How empty are you willing to be for God? How much are you willing to say, God, I'll get out of the way. God, whatever it costs. God, whatever it looks like, if I have to start laying stuff aside, if I have to start sacrificing these things that I think of how it should look like or things I want to happen of the way it should be, God, I will lay it all down. I will empty myself completely. And when you and I can do that, that is when we will see the abundant provision and miraculous power of God in our lives and in this church. To say, God, I'm getting everything out of the way. God, I'll move whatever I have to move. If I got containers full of stuff, I'll toss them all out right now. Whatever I got to do that I'm going to empty every container that I have in my entire life. God, I'm laying it all at your feet. And what God does is he takes that little jar of oil and he begins to multiply it by his supernatural power. That if we could be vessels, vessels that just say, God, I just, I want you. God, I just, I want to encounter you. Here's what Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars. So this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. This is the Apostle Paul. Saw the risen Jesus with his own eyes. Anointed to be an Apostle, to plant churches all over Asia and Europe. This is the guy who half of the books of our New Testament are written by him. And he says, I have this treasure. Yeah, Paul, of course you got treasure. You're the Apostle Paul. And he says, no, 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 I have this treasure in a clay jar. I'm just, I'm just the pot. I'm just the container. I'm just the vessel that holds the very knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And if you and I, as the church today, would get out of our own way and get out of God's way and say, God, I'm empty. God, I'm giving it all to you. God, I'm laying it all at your feet. Let me tell you, there's no empty part of your life that he won't fill. There's no empty part of your life that he won't invade with his power and with his glory. And all it takes is nothing. The problem is we don't have nothing. We have lots of stuff that we think is important. And it turns out that nothing is actually all you need, and nothing is actually really hard to come by in our generation. What we need is not, we don't need more experts, we don't need more gurus, we don't need more coaches, we need more empty containers. We don't need business experts, financial experts, political experts, church planting experts. What we need is some empty containers. And God says, that's something that I can do something with.